0: Well, hey there everybody. This is Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises here, with a new bonus episode of Streamed and Screened.
1: Bonus, bonus, bonus.
0: In case that you're new to things here and haven't taken a deep dive into our backlog of episodes, which you're forgiven, the format of the show has changed a lot in the past 2 plus years since we started. Originally called Just to be Nominated, Bruce Miller, Jared McNett, and myself We're going to use the awards season as the main thrust, hence the cheeky title, but COVID clamped things down in theaters after our launch, so we shifted to a sort of listicle structure with each of us bringing a personal top five list attached to a unifying theme. Since we're celebrating the 4th of July this weekend, Independence Day, I figured it was worth unearthing a show that aired in July of 2020, themed American movies, it was just our 10th ever episode, so I'd like to think that we've come a long way so far as quality is concerned, but the list we ended up with and the discussion that went with it is something I still firmly stand behind and am incredibly happy to share. We'll have links in the show notes to stuff that we reference, along with ways that you can contact us and places that you can find our non-podcast related work. So. Thank you so much for being a subscriber, and we hope that you enjoy this bonus America-themed episode from the archives. As always, from Bruce, Jared, and myself, see something good. Well, hey there. Welcome to Just To Be Nominated, a podcast about movies that is distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee, along with Bruce Miller, the editor of the Sioux City Journal, and Jared McNutt, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa. Last time you heard from us, we picked out some of our favorite films and shows on the new HBO streaming platform, HBO Max. That and loads of other interesting episodes can be found pretty easily in our archives if you want to go check those out. For this episode, which we recorded on the Monday after Independence Day weekend, Bruce and Jared and I decided to assemble a collection of movies that paint a reasonably well-rounded picture of America. If you listen all the way through to the end, you'll hear our unexpected recommendations for ridiculous new game shows. As always, we've got links in the show notes that will take you to wherever you need to go to stream the movies that we're talking about. Today's episode kicks off after this short pause. we're recording this the the monday after the 4th of july and so we're thinking about america and the i guess kind of highfalutin theme that that we've got for this one is uh like five movies where like viewed collectively would present a holistic experience or understanding of america what it means to be american or uh you know warts and all i suppose
1: Kind of related to that, uh, one I was definitely considering uh, for this list and seems appropriate to mention considering uh, news from this morning is uh, I was really considering putting Once Upon a Time in America on my list mm-hmm. as a like, kind of a idealized version of like the, like, you know, rags to riches or like immigrant stories that we love telling. And uh, definitely want to shout that one out considering uh, Ennio uh, Morricone died this morning. Well, what's your first one? Start us off, Jared. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my first pick, there's a uh, is a uh, the conversation uh, by Francis Ford Coppola from uh, 1974. And the reason I put that one on my list is because there's obviously been uh, conspiracy theories before America, uh, but there's something distinctive about American conspiracy theories, they can be like, hmm. super pervasive, like the JFK assassination, which people still love obsessing about even now. Or they can be super like all encompassing, like QAnon, which basically is folded in everything. Uh, it's like grand unified conspiracy theory, and um, there's there's a lot of paranoia wrapped up with uh, conspiracy theories, and the conversation is drenched in that particular kind of like American '70s paranoia, where people were starting to find conspiracies in everything and everywhere, where like you know Watergate or the Pentagon Papers had people questioning their government like they hadn't really before and in the conversation some of that kind of conspiratorial thinking uh you see in gene hackman's character and it's not a not a kook really by any stretch but he still definitely is want to conspiracy theories and paranoia and i think that makes it even more potent of a, a movie and i think it's a very american kind of thing
0: yeah I mean, that's also, you've got certain elements of privacy Mm -hmm. that go into there. and I I mean, obviously the technology of, you know, recording people and documenting audio at the time is, you know, antiquated at this point or anachronistic, I suppose, but it definitely translates or, you know, could be applied pretty broadly now. Yeah. With, you know, technology and Google and tracking through phones and everything. Um, Yeah. No, that's, that's a. Great example, and it's also—I mean—that's—I mean—for Francis Ford Coppola to have done, did he do that like directly? He he made that one between the, between Godfathers. the Godfathers. yeah, which is just insane. Yeah, I mean to have you know two of two of these other movies, which you know could very easily make the list—Godfather one and two—and then in between he has this other film that I think you're you're absolutely right on is in the uh shall we say conversation of
1: (laughs) well and like we love we love talking now like you know 1984 gets brought up all the time and everything now and like police states and everything but like something like the conversation is like sort of like the i guess the the foundation for something like that and like you said it's a very rudimentary form of it but it's still there this idea of just constantly being watched or being listened to is something we kind of just like have given up on now and it's like yeah no i know amazon's listening to me ha 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 ha,
0: ha. yeah yeah you know? it's constantly on like audio receiving devices in every single room yeah so what about you bruce well,
2: well you know and i don't know i because i have lists that would go very kind of raw raw mm-hmm. if i if i went in that direction and then i have ones that are kind of cynical and then i have ones that are just aspirational. So. It's hard to pick what should go on this list, but I think, let me just throw one out and you'll see what I mean. Yeah. Rocky, Rocky is the quintessential American story mm-hmm. because it's about being able to be whatever you want to be. Right. It just takes work, it takes struggle. And I think that is the American story, even though I'm not a Rocky movie fan. right? I like the, the reboots better, but when you look at it, you think Rocky, yeah, that's America. It's like we can do it, and if we fight hard enough, we can succeed. So Rocky's on my list.
0: I, I totally agree with. I mean, the way that you set this up, Bruce, where the the films that that everybody's picking and the and the way that we all approach this, it ends up reflecting your own perspectives on America, on history. Like when I was going through it, it very I had the same things. Of you know, we can look at very jingoistic flag waving things. And that's totally American, you know, baseball, apple pie. But then you can also look and say, oh, but there's also, you know, Abu Ghraib and CIA black sites. <laughs> like those are also, you know, American right. things. Right. And so it's finding that intersection to where you can get all of that at the same time
1: obviously with rocky too there's the fact that it's actually even set around like the the bicentennial and everything and even like stallone's own story you could definitely do the same kind of like very american like uh rags to riches kind of thing too with the fact that like he put that together when he was a pretty struggling uh actor and director in the in Hollywood. Yeah. So there's you know, a meta kind of thing with it, too.
0: Yeah. There's a very, like, bootstraps, you know, mentality to, like, the, the production of the film as well as the, the plot of the film. It's so ideal mm-hmm. in
2: many ways. Even though if you watch it, you go, oh, God, I know where this is headed. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. very predictable. And I was very upset the year that it won the Oscar for Best Picture. I thought it was like, this is wrong. This should not win. But different crowd, different voters, you know, and they weren't going with my all-time favorite, Network, which I really think is oh, yeah. a much better film.
1: That was when I was tempted to put on my list. Yeah.
2: yeah, ne- I've said this many times, Network is what we're seeing now. Yeah, It's how the media me- media is corrupted by people who want to use it for their own benefit. Mm-hmm. And they can build um, a character, and then they realize we've created a monster and now what do we do? And I think yeah. that's bearing out right now. I think we see those kinds of things. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And the stratification of the the platforms that are coming out where, you know, you can, you know, be Instagram or Twitter famous and, you know, build a following that way. I mean, I remember when, you know, Trump was still running and the the idea was he was going to lose in 2016, that the next thing he was going to do was just make some like make his own media empire out of, right. you know, like a Facebook yep. television or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one that is uh, still, still topical. Yep. So the, like the, the first one that I'm going to throw out there is the first one I suppose where it's uh it's a little bit of a, of a cheat. I think it's, it's, it's really easy. It could be easy to do a list of five documentary films that would Present things, and I definitely didn't want to do that. But the first thing that jumped into my head was the movie Crumb from 1994, directed by Terry Zwigoff, which is a it's a documentary feature about Robert Crumb, who was a underground comics cartoonist from uh, the you know mid to late 60s, became very well known through uh, like the Janis Joplin album cover and Fritz the Cat and a bunch of other odds and ends and. He also is from a tremendously damaged family and you get to experience that. And o- over the course of the film, what you end up touching on is mental health. And I mean, there there's so many other layers of, you know, pornography and depictions of race and sexuality and all of that kind of filtered through the prism of post-World War II masculinity because he talks about, you know, being raised in this, you know, suburban uh, area by, you know, a father who – from the war and everything. And uh, it's uh, just a, a fascinating look through all of that. Um, and I think the film ends with him and his wife, Aileen Crumb, pretty much moving to France, which is <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. he's maybe a little bit on the nose, I guess, as far as <laughs> – so that's, that, that's my – my first pick
1: well yeah and there's definitely something to be said for like if you were like you know showing these like or trying to teach like aliens or whatever like about like america there's always something to be said for if you want to learn about a culture it's always important to learn about whatever its counterculture is and so something like that movie cromer just like diving into any of his stuff is definitely informative of like a very particular moment in, uh, in counterculture and what that was like attempting to kind of tilt against
0: Chris, what appealed to you about the movie when you first saw it? It was, it's just more so than anything. It was something where I don't want to say like, I could see my family in it. Cause I, I couldn't, but I could definitely, I saw, you know, friends, families and relationships. It, it just, it seems like a, a very unique window into American Life, and it's also—I mean, I, you know, when I watched it, I would have been, you know, a teenager, um, just kind of discovering our crumbs. So there's the, you know, salacious elements that are going to suck you in. You know, the way that he, you know, draws women was certainly appealing to, you know, 15 year old me, or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, but from there, it provides a pretty simple little step stool up into the way that like the the american masculine psyche has been you know twisted by you know suppressed urges and sure
2: yeah well and we understand where he's coming from i think when you just see the cartoons you get no sense of what that man is like yeah mm-hmm. so they do they do inform if you will yeah. that's an interesting first choice i like it that's
1: cool my next pick i went with a. Uh, this is a my Entertainment uh, in America pick, and it's one of my uh, favorite uh, comedies ever. And I watched it uh, endlessly as a kid, and it's a uh, Cable Guy from uh, 1996, which uh, <laughs> Ben Stiller directed. The reason I picked Cable Guy is it's like simultaneously a love letter to American entertainment, particularly television, which, I mean, America obviously perfected in a lot of ways. <laughs> but it's also a really, really dark warning about Entertainment and uh, American television and American entertainment—it's mm-hmm. almost like a little less preachy and dorky version of like Infinite Jest, where Ben Stiller is sort of showing you how we use like pop culture to basically like anesthetize ourselves to actual reality and like how something that can be for a person because Jim Carrey's character in that movie is not a fully formed person—he's the the man child and he's bad at like expressing his emotions and. Cable Guy was, like, in the early days of the internet, but it also kind of gets that sort of technological loneliness pretty right, too, because there's the scene where Jim Carrey's talking about, you know, you can play Mortal Kombat with a friend in Vietnam, and he's talking about that, and he sounds excited, but he's not an excitable person at all, so he's more interested in, like, the possibilities in it, and he, there's no real emotion behind it, so I think... Even now, the cable guy holds up pretty well, even if some of the like, specific entertainment references are And yeah.
0: that's, a, that's a Judd Apatow script as well, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there we go.
2: Okay, my second one, Black Klansman. Excellent. I think Black Klansman tells us that we always have to be wary of what might be out there. And when you see that, um, you think, oh, my God, yes, we can't let our guard down because these things are there. And I do think that Spike does a really good job of telling that story in a way that brings people in that probably didn't know the story or didn't want to know the story or were just oblivious to everything. Yeah, And it makes you understand what's going on. And I think even now it's really important that you watch for some of those things.
0: So I loved it. I thought it was a great movie. And the way at the end of that movie where he definitely loops it into pretty specific at that point very current events
2: yep yeah when i pick rocky as my first one you can't be all rocky in the world (laughs) and i think this is a nice temper to that i think it kind of makes you think well wait a minute now when you're cheering Rocky, there's also another story going on that maybe you're not you're not
1: getting. Yeah, and
2: I think Black Klansman helps kind of even that out a bit.
1: And uh, another thing with Black Klansman too is it's really, really, really early in the movie, but it also because it has like that little scene I think kind of dealing with like birth of a nation or whatever, if I'm remembering right. I've, I, it's been a while since I've seen Black Klansman, but like there's there's even that kind of thing of like how a lot of more insidious like things have kind of been reinforced in our society over the years with like entertainment and oftentimes with a lot of different movies and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: In an earlier version of the list that I was trying to make for, for this, I had um, like black Klansman was on, was up there, but I also uh, considered for a long time doing bamboozled, which Mm -hmm. similar, I mean, and it's, it's way more into Straight up satire, yeah, than Black Klansman. And it ended up, I ended up just kind of cutting it because it it didn't hold up as well as an actual film, but it it does touch on a lot of the exact same things that that you're talking about, Bruce. Sure. Okay. What's your number two? Dead Man. Dead Man. Help me out. Dead Man. That's, um, it was Jim Jarmusch movie from 95. Uh, it is, uh, about a, it's, it's like a neo
1: Western. Psychedelic Western.
0: Yeah. Um, Johnny Depp plays like a character uh, kind of, you know, wandering out into the wilderness. And there's just a, a whole lot of very direct implications about westward expansion and, you know, manifest destiny. And it's also one of the earliest examples of a film that went out of its way to portray. The native american populations as historically accurate as possible and make sure that though that their representation was was dead on and i mean it still is a film that was made by you know a white guy who's you know born and raised in new york so it's hard to you know pin that down entirely but you have to have something about native americans and land taking and this definitely touches those bases in a way that I think is really functional and worth catching up for anybody who hasn't seen it yet.
2: Did you ever see any of the Billy Jack movies? I did not. I grew up in a reservation and Billy Jack was like a really kind of folk hero, even though he was, I think he's a white guy, if I'm not mistaken, um, Tom Laughlin, but he was one that really captured their feelings about their place in the in the uh, country, and it was fascinating for me to see that from a different perspective. But Billy Jack, yeah, and just go see, and you'll see what I mean. I, I'm sure they're so dated now mm-hmm. that you go, "What is this?" But it did talk about things like, you know, land rights and and all that kind of stuff. Um, Bury my heart at wounded knee was another big thing that we studied when we were in school. But um, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. Well, I have I did not know about Dead man so I will watch. I will definitely look at that.
1: Yeah, like the cast in that movie is pretty ridiculous because it's Johnny Depp, and then also Robert Mitchum and John Hurt and uh, Iggy Pop and Billy Bob Thornton are also in it.
0: Yeah, as this almost like uh, like Shakespearean kind of quartet of you know characters that randomly stumbled upon in in the woods. Are they mm-hmm. cammy? Um No, it's it's more. I mean, the whole movie is very almost dream logic, I suppose. Yeah, Uh, Like Johnny Depp's character, he's an accountant and he's he's on the run for murdering somebody to a degree, but he also is getting sick from an infection. And so it's, I mean, it's, yeah, Jim Jarmusch in the mid nineties. So it's going to have a certain, you know, psychedelic dreamlike element to it. I can hardly wait. That's great. Thank you.
1: Uh, So uh, Bruce had a, Spike Lee movie on his list and I have one on mine too, although I went uh, more contemporary with mine in terms of when it's set and my uh, next up pick is uh, 2002's 25th Hour and uh, that was kind of my pick for like America and rebuilding because obviously famously in 25th Hour there are a lot of scenes of like, uh, you know, the hole where the World Trade Center once stood and all that stuff but then 25th Hour also, I think, works really well um, as kind of a thing of like America as a community um, at odds with each other, um, which is definitely best exemplified in 25th Hour with Edward Norton's (laughs) uh, diatribe against literally every possible ethnicity, including like Italians and like Irish people and whatnot living in uh, New York City. That like he seemingly gets along with it at other points in the movie, but then just like it. It boils over into this like tension that often happens in Spike Lee movies when he goes into the just this long, long, long uh, monologue. And so I, I think that movie works really, really well as a like a melting pot kind of movie and how those kind of tensions can sort of play out sometimes. I think those
0: Spike Lee adapting a work by somebody else.
1: Yep, David Benioff.
0: Yeah. Yep. game of thrones
1: <laughs> yes yeah you're
0: kind of dark there with all these
2: things
1: <laughs> somebody had to have some of those too I although i guess we all have kind of started to drift a little dark with some of the picks too but yeah <laughs> okay
2: can i can i lighten it up a bit
1: please yes national lampoon's vacation
0: all right i figured that that was gonna end up on there at some point
2: that is so my life in fact <laughs> you know at the beginning of this show there's uh they have these postcards from all these places that you can visit. I've been to all of them. All of them. My parents took me on every one of those vacations. We saw Paul Bunyan in Minnesota. We saw the, um, the biggest ball of twine. We saw all that crap. And we actually did go on one of those trips to Disneyland when I was a little kid. It was my goal in life that if anywhere I could get, it would be Disneyland. And every year I would hit them up and say, we've got to go to Disneyland. This is the year." Well, the year we moved, they said, okay, this is the year we get to go to Disneyland. So we had to hit a bunch of relatives places on the way, but we finally got to Disneyland and we left at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I was so mad. You have never seen somebody (laughs) scream and shout and raise a big stink like I did, because I said, no, you've got to stay until the fireworks." And they said, well, we'll just watch them from the motel. We don't need to hang here for this. So it doesn't count. All right, you've got to be there. So as a result, I think it's affected my adult life because I have been to Disney World more than 40 times. I think that tells you something right there that when you deny a child what they really want, they are going to make up for it in later years. But I think the movie, now talking about the movie, it it captures what that, that family experience is how really, you know, come on, kids, we're going to have fun or else. Yeah. And I think it, it, it holds up. It's one that if you watch it now, it's just as funny as it was back in the day. And even though it might be a skewed view of, of life, it really captures a lot of things in that dynamics of a family. So vacation.
1: Well, and, and there's also something you said for vacation, too, or some other movies like it of like a, a pretty good depiction of like what middle-class like leisure is in America. Cause they're not like taking some like fancy trip to like the Hamptons or whatever. They're like piling in their car and driving to this really goofy amusement park and staying with like weirdo family members along the way. How the
2: relatives, we all have mm. those relatives, don't we? <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Cousin Eddie is in my family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every, everyone has a version of a cousin Eddie. If you can't name the cousin Eddie in the family, you are the cousin Eddie.
0: Every gene pool has its shallow end for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was my number
2: three. What's yours?
0: I went with uh, The Master. Nice. The Master. Which I feel like they're, almost every single Paul Thomas Anderson movie could be argued Onto this list. Yeah. I feel like if you were to pick, you know, the five most recent Paul Thomas Anderson movies, you'd be like, well, there, there you go. We're done. Um, but I, yeah, between there will, will be blood and boogie nights. I feel like I, I wanted to have something that would touch on religion and the, obviously, the master is about Scientology. And Scientology just strikes me as one of the most uniquely American uh, religions, quote unquote, oh, yes. to come about. And the uh, yeah, I feel like it just captures also the very specific you know fertile ground that that allowed that to grow from post World War II. Again, I feel like there's so many of these things that you know the post World War II uh, baby boom, all of that has left such an indelible. You know, stamp on current American culture. I mean, the performances in the master also are just absolutely incredible.
2: Amy Adams is always overlooked. I think she needs to have five mm-hmm. Oscars on her shelf. Yep. We also see. I mean,
0: it's the introduction of a uh, Oscar winner, Rami Malik. Right. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Again, like with I was saying with the conversation and how like you know conspiracy theories aren't just an american thing it's the same thing with like the master and like con or whatever like conmen aren't a uniquely american thing but like the way we sometimes lionize con i feel like is a more particularly american thing and then obviously the history of america is rife with religious con not just l ron hubbard but also you know joseph smith or more recently like the there's a church for people that like drink bleach and that that's just con men all the way down too. So, yeah. we have a, like a long history of religious con men in- Or I mean, I feel like
0: I mean even like I mean I feel like con men is 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 a little more loaded than I personally would want to like commit to, but I totally get what you're saying when like I don't mm-hmm. like when I think about you know, like, like the churches that do snake handling, like who, yeah. who's, who's benefiting from that? <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. Who's the guy at the other end of the money hose from snake handling? Big
1: snake.
2: With movies like that, you find that Americans want to believe. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a, a uniquely American trait because I think you go to other countries and they are a little more skeptical about things, but we want to believe that magic is magic. We want to believe that things can happen. We want to believe that this master knows what he's talking
0: about. And I mean, you see the same thing with with Boogie Nights as well, where it's these family units that are cobbled together and, you know, seem to form kind of naturally. I mean, it's a, you know, self-selecting sort of group, both of them, you know, the porn industry and these, you know, the burgeoning Scientology. But, you know, people just want that, acceptance they want to be welcomed and understood
2: yeah yeah it's like now when we have been um quarantining at home we're not part of that family that we got at work yeah and i think you sense that you think yeah i am like a i'm a homing pigeon i want to get to where i feel most comfortable never mind that you might not like any of the people who are there yeah but you you feel like that's where you belong
0: yeah so so the master was what was my pick of those just because it kind of covers that the religion base really, really well.
1: Yeah, that was actually uh, my uh, my number two pick. Uh, so in light of that, I'm going to go to one of my uh, reserve picks and uh, ha- happy to put this on the list anyway. And that's a uh, uh documentary pick from uh, Martin Scorsese, um, Italian-American, which. Um, is a really, really um, like heartwarming and moving documentary. It's l- less than an hour long, so it's perfect for uh, for Bruce. <laughs> and it's just him uh, talking with his parents about you know their experience growing up as like first generation uh, you know immigrant kids in New York City um, during like a very like chaotic time in uh, in New York City, and um, just talking to them about you know that experience and food and just culture and family so it, it ties up just a lot of different heartwarming strings about uh American experience I would hmm. say.
2: That's a good choice. That's a good choice. It's an interesting choice. What about other kinds of ones like that? Were there other ones that you thought about that would fill that bill?
1: Yeah I don't know that that was the one that definitely most immediately jumped out of me. I guess I, I was also thinking maybe too although this would have been the darker and messier version was something like Gangs of New York which is also Scorsese. Because I kept thinking I needed to have something from him on here because obviously his movies, even though he's influenced a lot by like French new wave cinema and stuff like that, they're very American uh, movies and their sensibilities. But um, I I think Italian American kind of works the best for that kind of experience.
0: Interesting. Yeah. That's one that I had never even heard of. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. It's on, uh, it's on YouTube and it's one of the ones that just came out in the criterion collection of some of his uh, shorts.
2: I was wrestling with my next choice because I look at something like American Sniper, Ooh, and I yeah. know that that lays with a certain audience, but I had mm-hmm. problems with it all the way through. And I know that it would it would identify part of our country, but mm-hmm. there were things in it that I just, the way it's made, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought that, um, what's his name? Bradley Cooper, right? Brad Cooper, yeah, 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 sorry. I thought he did a great job, and I love that he had the, the accent and all that down. He's really good at those kinds of things. But there were, there were statements that were made that I questioned, and I really thought that it was cutting short other people because this was told through the eyes of a book that he had written, the, uh, the guy that this about, about. Yeah. So I, I question all of that, and I get the kind of rah-rah U.S. kind of thing that they're doing, <clears throat> and I couldn't put it on there. I couldn't put it on there, but it does identify a segment of our world, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And then you go to the extremes like Top Gun, which is a very idealized version of what the military is all about. So I struggled. I struggled finding a military kind of film. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had to have something like that in there. So maybe it's Saving Private Ryan. Huh. All right. That's my my kind of my the tip to the the military. Because in that, I think it does it does give you that kind of we're in this together feeling. Yeah. But it doesn't go to the point where, you know, and I was the
0: one who did it.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is where I had a problem. Yeah. So saving Private Ryan is my military film.
0: Well it's also I feel like we I mean you kind of have to have a, a Steven Spielberg movie somewhere in on here. Um and you know it captures the best aspects, I suppose. Of, of, of the of the aspect you can find about war um and yeah
2: yeah people like Patton and I was bored by Patton I didn't like it so I didn't want something like that but anyway I needed a war film I thought because in my whole life I've always dealt with war
1: and that's definitely a case too of like that that one pick makes more sense because it's a case of uh a war where the enemy was much more easily understood by everyone because it's actual nazis right and so yeah there's a lot less like emotional fraught and like strife and anxiety over something like that versus like you know what's being depicted in like american sniper or you know the hurt locker or even like you know platoon or full metal jacket or some of those kind of movies right and
2: you know it shows the horrors of war and it also um shows the honor that was involved. So anyway, saving private Ryan. What's yours?
0: Um the next one I've got is another Scorsese movie. And the one that I went with was The Wolf of Wall Street.
1: Ooh.
0: Yeah. Um that one it is probably I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I'd say that it's the best Scorsese movie or even the most like American one, but it it just it's it's the most fun to watch and I think is loaded with the right levels of you know subtext, I suppose, to to convey the you know very specific way that Americans interact with wealth. And um I mean it's it's another kind of bootstrap uh you know narrative in a way. Um and yeah. Greed is good. Yeah, but without Wall Street, I don't know. I feel like Oliver Stone is, is a little bit too <laughs> bombastic for yes, you know, for this list where Wolf of Wall Street speaks enough to the point where you know people can look at it and see it as this you know satire and very bleak outlining, but they can also watch it and Jordan Belfer, you know that character is you know, lionized amongst a certain you know group of ding-dongs out there
1: (laughs) well yeah chris i was just about to say i think some of the subtext of that movie has been lost on people since it came out because i distinctly remember in uh in grad school i was like a you know ta for like a 100 level journalism class and one of the one of the projects they had to do was like a a media diet and just kind of log stuff that they were watching or whatever Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of very 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 fratty people in that class that had watched that movie And their understanding of what that movie was supposed to be about was way off.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They saw it as
1: a guide to life. Yeah. Well, that and they saw Jordan Belfort as just a a hero, not even an anti-hero, but just a hero.
2: Yeah. Isn't that weird how some of these warped values we can trace
1: back to those kinds of people? Yeah. Or not even necessarily those kinds of people, but just the, the kind of air of not understanding satire, I think explains a lot of like... Understandings and outlooks of stuff. Yeah. So my uh my my final pick, I knew I had to have a movie that was in some ways about um like myth making and uh, revisionism, um because every you know country every culture has forms of myth making and revisionism. hmm. And so, my number one pick, which is I knew it was always going to be my top pick, and then I just had to figure out the rest of the list, is uh McCabe and Mrs. Miller from uh 1970. Ah,
0: yeah. Um, I'm
1: a, a big fan of like anti nostalgia kind of exercises anyway, and I I love this movie because it's not at all a glorified version of the West, it's a very dingy looking uh West. Um, It's not in the typical parts of the West that usually got shot for Westerns. It was shot in like the Pacific Northwest as opposed to the Southwest, like a lot of the, most of those movies were. So we we don't even see the kind of backgrounds we're used to seeing, of like Monument Valley or whatever else. And the main character in the movie, um, well, I guess both of them are the kind of main characters, but McCabe, um, Baby's part, he's a very cowardly Western figure. He's not like a, a John Wayne type. Or Henry Fonda type, or any of those kind of guys. He's very cowardly, and you know the way he goes out is is not at all noble or like you noteworthy. Know, yeah. And so I think there's something very perfect about that movie of like kind of telling those like Western myths, but then also kind of tearing them down at the same time. Did you look at other westerns? Yeah, there, there's definitely some other ones I considered, including a Dead Man like Chris Picks, But McCabe and Mrs. Miller is a personal favorite of mine, anyway. And I I think it does kind of work the best at like sort of, you know, poking holes in some of the, uh, the myth making we tell about ourselves uh, tell ourselves about expansion and everything. So
0: Altman's another one like Paul Thomas Anderson, where I feel like, I mean, half of the films he made could very easily go on this list. Um, I mean, yeah, Nashville.
1: Oh, yeah. I was thinking about putting Nashville number. One. Oh, don't you told,
0: Oh, I took Nashville.
2: <laughs> All right, well, go for it, Bruce. Yeah, Nashville is one of those movies that, oh man, there's so much I can unpack with that film. I loved Nashville. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Th- even every little tiny character in that has so much to say about, it, especially when, um, oh, now see here, I'm, I'm losing it. She goes around and she does the uh, oral history of Nashville as she's trying to do a story. She plays the journalist, well, journalists of sorts from Great Britain and she's walking around and she's describing things and you think, oh my God, that is the way people think the United States is. <laughs> and um, it implodes with all these things that are happening. Nashville is, has so much to offer and I love that movie. And Robert Altman is one of my favorite directors, even though he misfired more than many people did. Yeah. He always had something, even in that last, uh, the Prairie Home Companion one he did. There was enough there that you go, yeah, yeah, I still see he's got the spark.
0: Well, his I mean, his his filming process of, you know, having a lot of, you know, improv and, you know, people talking over each other. I mean, some of those things are going to end up turning into these beautiful monuments to to what he was trying to accomplish, like Nashville, McCabe and, you know, something like Shortcuts, even, which would have been my pick, I think, of of those Altman movies for this but then you get moments where it doesn't quite work and you are you know it's uh bruce mccloud (laughs) which is is a fine movie but it's definitely way more of a mess than a success well look at mash you know mash
2: turned into something entirely different when it became a tv series yeah but you look back to that movie and it shows the brutality of war as well Mm -hmm. so yeah i love robert altman so nashville was mine i'm sorry and i you know i almost put jared i thought you were gonna do this I almost put a superhero film on. Oh, what were you going to do with one? Well, because, you know, you could make a case for Avengers Endgame. There's a lot there that could give you an idea. You could make a case for The Dark Knight. And so I thought, I
0: bet he's going to do one of those. So I'm not going to grab one. Yeah. <laughs> so I took Nashville. Like the movies that we talk about not including and the reasons why we didn't include it say as much, I think, about those as, you know, the things that we're actually putting on our list. Um, yeah, it's. I've I spent more time like going through and wrangling, you know, thoughts about all of this, and it's it's such a you know complex thing to start you know tearing apart. I mean, do you, do we want to put idiocracy on the list? Do we want to put jackass? Uh,
1: yeah. Another one I had on my list was thinking about putting on my list. Actually, was even something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which sounds a little bit ridiculous at first. But it's sort of like the like rural urban like paranoia conflict kind of thing going on that I was very tempted to put on there. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff I left off that was tempted to put on. Get out could be on there.
0: That was going to be my, um, my, my final uh, one that I want to talk about was get out. Yeah. Because I feel like there, there has to be a horror movie in the mix Yeah, because horror movies more than almost any other genre, maybe like sci-fi comes in a second, but I mean, horror movies, I think, have always been this, you know, this mirror up to society reflecting the things that we've, you know, internalized and, you know, feared and, you know, kind of, you know, sublimated into this, you know, collective unconscious and it all comes out. Well, in in the best examples, you know, it all comes out. You look at, you know, Night of the Living Dead or, you know, Dawn of the Dead as well. Any of those would have been, you know, really great. But I feel like Get Out is one where um, you know, 2017 Jordan Peele, everybody has probably seen this by now. Um, just, I mean, put its finger directly on without really putting it on, on the nose, um, which is where, you know, race, race relations are in America at the time. And I mean, it, it touches on so much of, you know, aspects of policing and, um, you know, identity. And I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's one that is only going to be revealed to have been uh, way more prophetic, I think, as as time goes
1: on. And doing a lift that wasn't particularly easy either of, like, making sure to place just as much blame on, like, white well-meaning liberals is like anyone else because like the the people in get out are supposedly seemingly like on the know, like right side of history or whatever and like the dad's talking about i would have voted for obama like a third time but then they're the most horrifying people in the movie
0: performative liberalism mm-hmm. um, can be so you know i don't want to say problematic but um yeah so, look at the hunt that's yeah. why I, I still haven't seen it yet yeah which uh i mean will be a uh, oscar winner for for 2020 i'm sure so i'm saying the best picture come on guys you know it hamilton i will right, we'll see i'm yeah i'm I, not it, it's throwing it's gonna...
2: away my shot i hope it wins
0: well that's one that i, I was wondering if you were going to put that on your list bruce because it seems like i mean obviously i mean it's come up in the past. You you love the play. and It's
2: a creature of
0: the theater. And
2: I think that's, you know, and this, it never would be considered for Best Picture, but this year it will be because they're allowing these streaming things to be on, you know, the short list. Yeah. And so I think it could be nominated. I really do. But um, it's so theatrical that really, I, I question how it could ever be made into a movie. Yeah. But it works on a stage because you buy the conceit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's that Well. What are you guys watching? What have you seen that you really liked?
0: The, the, the most recent thing that I watched that I really liked was The Vast of Night. This was one. So, I mean, I like think we had talked originally about doing um, Amazon movies as a thing. So I I waited a little w- little ways into Amazon Studios movies, and The Vast of Night came out last year, it's directed by a guy named An- Andrew Patterson, and it is just this really well done, low budget sci fi thing set in like the very early '60s in small town America, and yeah, it is really well put together. Um, I yeah really enjoyed it. Is there anybody
2: in it that we know?
0: No, it's all um, very, very low, low budget. Um, I mean, the the cinematography and everything is, is very well put together. I mean, there are all of these really interesting, long tracking shots that, you know, go through the middle of like high school basketball games and stuff, which are shockingly well done. But yeah, there aren't any there's no big names in it. And yeah, I'm expect more from uh from this guy andrew patterson i just i'm looking at a picture of him right now and he has one of the biggest beards i've ever seen so so we should
2: say yes to that
0: yeah
1: one uh i watched recently that i I guess maybe could have made this list or something from this director i finally got around to watching uh leave no trace which i absolutely loved um that one's so good yeah and a great follow-up to winter's bone which also could have maybe made the list too um and then I've been burning through all the Scorsese shorts, so Italian-American, but then also another really good one called, um, what is it, American Boy. And it's this, like, uh, interview he does with Stephen Prince, who's just, like, a pretty low-level actor and taxi driver. He plays, like, the gun guy or whatever. Hmm. And it's just a really great one to watch because it really is a documentary about storytelling. And at a certain point in the movie, you don't know if all these, like, um tales this guy's telling her total bullshit or not, but he's such a good storyteller that you don't really care.
2: Yeah. Fascinating. I started last night watching Greyhound, which premieres mm. this Friday on Apple TV, I believe it is, with with Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And then I took a pause. So maybe that tells you something right there. And I went back to my new big binge favorite, which is Floor is lava. Oh yeah, I've been watching that too. <laughs> I've been watching that too, Bruce. I love that. I yeah, love, it's I love great. That. Isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, you're yelling at the TV, no, yep. go by the curtains, don't take the pole down, no. Yep. And it's so <laughs> stupid. But Bruce, I love the
1: pyramid it. has gotten them every time.
2: Right, never get on that pyramid. I would stay nope. simply on either the rotating bed or the couch that you have to throw the cushions off of or yep. jump, the elephant is a must. If you have the elephant in the room, <laughs> always go to the elephant because you're going to get out of there with that.
1: You know, Bruce, another thing I've noticed about that show is the teams where it's kind of like a third wheel situation don't do very well. Right. It's like a married couple and then their friend or like their cousin or something, right. they do terribly.
2: <laughs> right. But if you're all in the same field, you're not yeah. too bad. Look at those those flight attendants, how well they did. Yep. Now, are you just oblivious to this, Chris you don't know what we're talking about
0: i I know what you're talking about. I watched um like the first third of the first episode, and With the
2: mother and her kids
0: yeah, the mother and the kids, and it was so dull i i like i it just did not do it for me and it, it's it's more like the actual like them doing the physical challenge stuff that was fine. It was more the The way that they interacted with each other, um, you know, in their little you know interviews with you know behind the scenes type thing, and it was like those things just seemed so coached and oh, they're very cringe. Yeah, and so like that was something where I just could not like it's just everyone at this point on reality shows or you know reality like competitions like that, it seems like they they know how to act. And then they just managed to act that way very poorly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that was like my my general takeaway from it. I'm sure that I'll get back to it. I mean, I, on the other hand, I've been watching Don't, the, um, the oh, new, yeah, yeah. new game show on what's well, on ABC, but I've been catching right. it like the day after on on Hulu and hosted by Adam Scott. So, I mean, I'm I'm certainly I'm not you know, coming from some, you know, high horse looking down on the floor. Is
2: lava. Adam Scott has worn the same outfit every episode. Did they shoot them all in one day
0: or I It would not surprise me?
2: Yeah, that that shocked me because I thought, well, he's got to change the suit at some point. No, it's the same gray sweater and the same suit coat that he's got on. But the thing I like about this is I think, what would I do? in Flora's lava would I go this way would I go that way would I be bossy would I be the one they'd have to help pull across because I'm so lame so if the three of us went on Flora's lava just think what we would do you'd leave me back at the front
0: I think that's the that'll be our next our next theme is uh, let's talk about movies uh, that, that have a game show component
2: okay and you know that Bruce always gets left. Yeah, let him go. He's the one. We can sacrifice no. him. Go no, for no. it. You'd give me a hand up to the first level, and then you'd say, nah, that's too much bother. It's like Survivor. If we were picking who was going to stay in Survivor, first one voted out, Bruce. <laughs> no. So are we looking at Jumanji and those kinds of things then the next time?
0: Clue? I was thinking, I mean, Clue wouldn't be bad, or not necessarily just adaptations of, of board game type things, but... Like, um, the, uh, the running man, like that kind of thing, you know, where it's a, sure. like there's, there's a, a game component to, Tron. yes, exactly. Um, things along those lines. So we can definitely talk about who, who would survive the running man of, of the three of us. Well, you know, I wouldn't,
2: uh, you know, I'm out. None of us I tap would. out right away. I'll be the one who sits on the sidelines and watch you guys stand on a pole for three hours and see who's going to give first.
0: But what are the, like, what, well, why don't we look at that then? So what, what are some, you know, game like structures that, that you would beat us at? You know, I mean, we're thinking like, would, you know, like, like a Jeopardy type thing. I mean, what, if we quiz could show, quiz show, quiz show or in. white men can't jump <laughs> with right. Rosie that's, Perez. That's
1: definitely me. Bruce yeah. would crush it in Saw.
2: <laughs> there you go. There you go. We're good. And-
0: Yeah. So next week we'll be talking about game movies or movies that have some kind of a, like a a game component to them. Um, be it, uh, you know, game show or whatever. So we can, I guess, address the ins and outs of that, uh, next time So be thinking about that. And, uh, what was it, Bruce? I think you coined our catchphrase, uh, last time, which was, uh, You know, see something good. I think that was the. (laughs) There you go.
2: Go for it. Go see something good, right? Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening and uh, and go see something good. Floor is lava. Floor is lava. So that was our roundup of red, white and blue films that might be thought of as an American canon if you want to get real hoity toity about it. There are links in the show notes, like I said at the beginning, uh, that will take you to places where you can stream all those, so make sure you click on through and find those there. And hey, uh, while you're making with all that clicking, you can subscribe to the show on Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and, I mean, you know, wherever else you listen to podcasts if you haven't already. Also, it really does help if you rate and review the show on the pod player of your choice, so hit us up over wherever that may be and let us know what you think. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. As always, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourselves out there.